When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. And it would be a great time to call. You know, it's just so funny. Some Sunday mornings, uh, somebody comes in, turns the phone on at like 10 minutes to late or something like that, and every line is taken by the time uh, I go on the air. And then there are mornings like this morning when everybody seems to be sleeping in, and there are lots of lines available. So... You know how busy it gets a little later in the show, and uh, I know how busy everybody's schedule is right now. Maybe sleeping in, enjoying a little bit of quiet time this morning, but uh, if you've got a garden question, it would be a real good time to call because uh, those lines do get very busy a little later in the program. So uh, you know the number, 210-599-5555. It is going to be a, a great day to get out and get things done. It uh, <laughs> kind of feels like an early fall day. The only thing is it's late fall, and instead of being you know, with the mornings that are usually down in the 40s, sometimes even in the 30s, we're waking up to mornings in the 50s and even the 60s, and uh, that's there's nothing wrong with that. It means that some of your wintertime flowers may, may stretch just a little bit, but it's not hot enough to really cause the problems that you would see in the spring. It's just that it sure is great weather for the gardener getting out there, and there's so many things to do. I mean, if you haven't gotten the fertilizer on your landscape, really important, not just your grass, but your trees and shrubs and everything else and uh, your grass I tell you this has been a weird fall I think I have seen more problems with grass especially St. Augustine than I've seen in a lot of years people bringing things in Oh, just it's a constant thing every day. People bringing in grass samples and pictures, and some of it's scrub worms, some of it's brown patch, some of it's just not watering properly. We do see the occasional chinch bug problem, but the one thing I can tell you for absolute certain is things will get a whole lot better if you get some good organic fertilizer out. And, of course, um, you know, be sure that you are watering properly. Normally, we've cut back our watering by this time of year to maybe once every three weeks. Now, you probably need You'd be doing it every 10 days to two weeks. Uh, you can uh, very definitely reduce the amount of watering that you do, but it's... Uh Ah, it's <laughs> it, it does have to be done, and I know it's going to raise your sewer rates a little bit, but hey, it's cheaper than replacing the grass out there, and uh, just just a lot of things to uh, to get done in the landscape, and fertilizing is one of them. If you have the time and energy, or maybe you've got kids home for college now, you can put them to work, get them out there, get a load of good organic compost, good uh, non-biosolids, good manure-based compost. Thin layer of that over your grass is going to do uh, tremendous things. To, to help your grass uh, do well through the winter and come out really strong next spring. That, that's the one thing. Everybody wants the yard to suddenly get green, and that's not going to happen. If you've got uh, problems with, uh, well, with grubs or brown patch or whatever, you can stop the problems now, but don't expect the grass to do a whole lot of growing until next spring. If you've got a lot of brown out there and you'd rather have a lot of green, it is certainly a good time to overseed uh, you know, use something like, uh, we like the top flight blend of the ryegrass. Do it relatively lightly over where you're overseeding grass. Do, uh, 
uh, do it relatively, in fact, do it real heavily where you have just their bare ground that you're putting it over. But uh, again, don't think your grass with the damage is going to change a lot this fall because it's not going to. But uh, nothing wrong with overseeding. Just don't put it out too heavily over over your permanent turf grass. But And I could go on and on and on about uh, different things to do. Great time to plant color. I mean, the cyclamen are absolutely gorgeous this year. If you want a beautiful yard for Thanksgiving, maybe not having as many people over, but hey, do it for yourself. Uh, cyclamen for the shade, pansies and Johnny Jump Ups and Dianthus for the sun. Uh, this is this is your last weekend before Turkey Day to get out and get those plants and uh, get them in. So anyway, just uh, just a few little reminders of things that you might like to be doing uh, uh, over <laughs> over the next day or so. So right now, I guess it's time to get to your questions. We're going to talk to Irma and Marty and Lori. So uh, we start out with Irma. Good morning, Irma. How are you today? Good morning. Good morning. Nice to talk to you. Okay, I have a question. I had a sweet potato, okay, and they came a lot of a lot of um, branches from the sweet potato, and I separated. What I have to do with that? Well, if you want to grow sweet potatoes, you can't plant them until next spring. You can't plant them until the soil really warms up. Mm. Um, I know when I was a kid, we took that sweet potato and, you know, put it in a vase of water and let it, it put out roots everywhere and it made vines and took over half the kitchen. You could do that if you wanted, or you could take the little plants that have grown on your sweet potato, root them, and just grow them in a pot until spring. I mean, you can put it outside in the sun on water. Warm days, it will have to be protected anytime we get down toward frost or freezing weather. And uh, it, you, you can't put it in the ground until spring. The soil is just too cold, and sweet potatoes are warm weather plants. So um, you need to keep it, now that it is sprouted and growing, you need to keep it going through the winter months. And like I say, you could do that either by suspending that uh, potato in a jar of water and letting it form a bunch of roots there, or better still, Plant those, we call them slips, plant them up in a little bit of garden soil, grow them through the winter months, and you'll have nice big plants to set out next spring. This is a, a Chinese sweet potato. This very small. This the same? Uh-huh. All uh, the yes, potatoes the are the same? same? Yes. Uh, well, all sweet potatoes are the same. Now, the so-called Irish potatoes or white potatoes, uh, red skin potatoes, whatever you want to call those, those are different. We will plant those actual potatoes in February. But all of the sweet potatoes, uh, they they don't get planted until the soil warms up, usually about April or May next spring. Okay. Okay. I have a green thumb. Everything they I put on, uh, they grow. But uh, I don't have good luck with uh, uh, herbs. What can I do with that? Well, herbs, uh, of course, are not houseplants. Uh, they have to be grown outside. Uh, you can't plant basil in the winter months, but uh, you need to plant your herbs out in full sun. You need to put them in soil that drains very well. Either if it's in the ground, you need to sometimes need to create a raised bed. If they're in pots, just use a, a soil that drains very well. And usually I find if people are having problems with herbs, they're either not giving them enough light or they're keeping them too wet. 
So lots of sun, water really thoroughly when you water, and then let them get dry about an inch deep before you water again. You should be able to grow rosemary and uh, thyme and cilantro and parsley and dill. Those should all be very easy. Sage is a little more sensitive. Lavender is a little bit more sensitive to staying too wet. But most herbs will be real easy for you to grow, but they're not houseplants. They need to go out on your porch or patio where they pretty much get sun all day long. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Have a wonderful, safe Thanksgiving. And where's your place located? Uh, our nursery is on Sunset Road. It's uh, uh, Sunset Road is uh, about halfway between the quarry and the airport. Uh, there's actually an exit for off of 281. Uh, so if you're not not real familiar with it, just it's like I say, it's uh, just south of the airport, just north of the quarry. And um, love to have you come look around. It's a beautiful place to walk through, and you certainly never have to buy anything to be welcome. You would enjoy just seeing the nursery. Do you going to have a Christmas tree this year? Um, we don't carry cut Christmas trees, and the uh, live Christmas trees haven't come in yet. Uh, it's been, that's one of those things that's just been difficult to get this COVID year. So um, I'll let you know when the live ones are in, but if you want cut trees, um, you, you're going to have to find somebody else. So those are just, we don't have the room to do the cut Christmas trees. Okay, and what is the name for the nursery? Native nursery is called Shades of Green. Shades of Green. Shades of Green. Thank you very much and have a wonderful day. You do too, Irma. Thank you. Bye bye. All right. Don tells me to go to Kathy next. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How about yourself? Pretty good. Enjoying this weather. I I'll wanted to ask you, you about. <laughs> Uh, I wanted to ask you about uh, the ryegrass that you recommend uh, to uh -huh. uh, put down. We've uh, brought in uh, five big loads of dirt on uh, some uh, back lot that we have, and so we get a lot of wind. We're we're here outside of Bernie. We get a lot of wind, and I didn't want all this dirt blowing around all winter, and we sure. thought maybe we could seed some rye. Uh-huh. The what I like uh, the the rye that I do not like is what they call Oregon rye, and that's the one most of the feed stores sell. It it gets awful tall and is it's just kind of a nasty grass. I like the uh, you know the compact ryes, the ones that don't grow over four or five inches tall. Uh, the best one that I've seen this year is called Top Flight. One word: T O P F L I G H T. Top Flight is my choice. Um, I believe uh, Douglas King has one called Greyhound, which is also a good one. But what you want to ask for is a dwarf or intermediate form of ryegrass. Uh, if you're looking for it up in Bernie, old Tim Frobacy should have it over there at Hill Country African Violets. Uh, if not, I'm sure they have it at the Friendly Natives up in Fredericksburg or Plant House up in Kerrville. Or if you grow into San Antonio, you'll, you'll find it at most good nurseries. Okay. And... Uh Okay, very good. And then also wanted to ask you about um, Copper Canyon or Mexican Mint Marigold, if it's deer resistant. Both of them are deer resistant. Copper Canyon Daisy is uh, 
um, a uh, uh, it's it's actually a perennial marigold. Uh, technically, Tagetes limonii, the uh, Mexican mint marigold, is Tagetes lucida. They are very closely related. Uh, mint marigold is uh, grown as a tarragon substitute. It's very useful in the kitchen. Copper Canyon daisy is just a pretty yellow flower in the fall, drought resistant, and totally deer resistant. Okay, I've seen it growing in some of the neighbors, and it made. Uh, a nice little uh, round mound. I don't know if they trim it to keep it that way or if it uh, was it, That's kind of how it grows, but I wouldn't describe it as a, a little round mound. The uh, Copper Canyon Daisy is going to grow at least two feet tall and two feet wide, and the Bexamint Marigold is probably going to be close close to the same size but uh they're both excellent plants both of them very very trouble free now these blasted spotted cucumber beetles that uh seem to be showing up everywhere uh they may get after it a little bit but uh you can you can get those under control would that spinaced soap soap do yeah, well with that or yeah spinaced okay. soap does pretty well with that Okay. And, and my last question is, I, I, I've been meaning to ask you this for a long, long time, but we, we love the big oak tree at the post office in Bernie. Is there <laughs> uh, any, <laughs> I, I mean, that just makes my day to see that when we pull in there, but is there any, uh, you know, uh, preventative for oak wheels that they're doing for that, like maybe in the community or the county? Well, the best way, uh, oak wilt spreads two ways. Oak, ridge, oak wilt spreads through interconnected roots from one tree to the next. And if a tree is isolated, it's not so much of a problem. But if there's another tree that gets oak wilt within a couple of hundred feet of another live oak, uh, it, can, it can spread that way through the roots. The way that oak wilt spreads over long distances is not in live oaks, but in red oaks. When a red oak dies of oak wilt, it forms a little reproductive body, the uh, fungus does, uh, called a, in what's called a spore mat, which develops underneath mm-hmm. the bark, and uh, insects, you know, the nitty-doodle beetles, the ambrosia beetles, transport those around to wounds on trees. And that's how, you know, and, and some people can, you know, the cut firewood that hasn't dried properly, haul it 200 miles and haul some oak wilt along with it, and that's how it's gotten started all the way up to Lubbock and all the way down to, you know, Brownsville. So uh, the uh-huh. things that we do to prevent oak wilt are, you know, paint, seal every wound, no matter how large or how small, uh, on a tree if you're trimming it or, you know, even if you're trenching, you need to seal the roots as well if that trench is going to stay open for more than 24 hours. Um, if you're buying firewood, be sure the firewood is thoroughly dried. Once once the wood has started to check, once you start to see the little splits in the wood, then uh, the, the spore mat will be dead. So just don't get green firewood from red oaks. Now, live oaks don't form spore mats, so you can use anything you want on the way of firewood from live oaks. And finally, if... Uh, oak wilt is in the area uh, it's been demonstrated now this is not just observation this is scientifically proven research that treating the area treating the trees treating the area around the trees with some different substances will basically make the trees immune to oak wilt the simplest uh, is to put out cornmeal which grows a uh, trichogramma fungus which I'm sorry the trichoderma fungus which um, makes the trees pretty much immune to oak wilt. So uh, there are lots of things you can do to reduce your chances of getting oak wilt, Uh, but sealing the wounds and um, 
and, and putting out some of the whole ground cornmeal. Usually we don't put it out dry because of all the deer and everything. Uh-huh. We'll actually soak the cornmeal in water and then, you know, pour buckets of that uh, kind of semi-fermented. You only have to let it soak for about 18 hours or just even overnight. But putting out uh, buckets of water within 10 feet of the trunk of the trees you're trying to protect. And this creates something we call systemic acquired resistance and uh, pretty much makes the trees immune to oak wilt. Okay. I was just hoping that they were doing some kind of – we, we do the cornmeal uh, tea treatment. Uh, around our place, and uh, we were just hoping that, you know, something was being done as a preventative. But like you say, it is pretty isolated up there, you know, from other oak trees, so maybe it's well, Let's just hope, you know, common sense and government are just those two things don't go together. So uh, what direction well, there, do you there live you from, go. Bernie? What direction uh, do you live from? It would be just uh, south of I-10, down Johns Road. Okay, well, I live on 46, just west of I-10, so I know know the area very well. Yep. Okay, and then uh, for grasses, uh, we've put out the um, uh, different ones, the uh, Gulf muley and different things like uh-huh. that because of the deer uh, resistance. And But right. there was a, one of my Cane's uh, chicken that has got a really pretty plume on it, a, a lot of plumes, and but it's small, a dwarf. Yeah. Uh, by Kane's, um, the fried chicken place, what up there? And I didn't know what kind of that was the penicillin. I would, I, I would have to look next time I drive out that way, but uh, my suspicion is if it has a nice plume on it, it probably is one of the muley grasses, either golf muley or there's one called little bunny that has kind of a whitish plume. There's one called little kitten. Uh, that has kind of a whitish plume, and then there's uh, there are a couple of them that have sort of a pinkish cast to them. But most of those are going to be muley grasses uh, rather than uh, penicetums. Okay, and is there a preference on one for the other as far as uh, drought tolerant, deer resistant? No. No, they're about the same. You pick the one you like. Okay. They are not usually planted from seed, though. They're usually set out as uh, established plants, uh, anything right. from 4-inch pots to gallon containers. But they do perennialize, and they do very well. Okay, very good. Thank you very much. Have a good Peace. afternoon. You do the same, and a good Thanksgiving, and we'll talk again. Let me get a break done here, and we'll be right back to phone calls. I get to talk to you for a moment about the freeze miser. And, hey, if you live in Bernie, if you live in the Hill Country, if you live anywhere that we get below freezing in the winter or have any potential for getting below freezing in the winter, you need to know about the freeze miser. It's one of the neatest devices I've ever seen. No batteries, no wires, no electricity involved. It's just some good chemistry and physics. It's a device you put on your hydrants and has nothing to do with air temperature. But when the water starts getting cold, which, of course, does have to do with the air temperature, but when the water inside your hydrant approaches the point that it could freeze and break the hydrant, well, it starts dripping automatically. Most remarkable thing I've ever seen. I put them on my hydrants last winter, and every time we had a morning below freezing, I'd look out, yep, drip, 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 never had a single broken faucet, and then when it warms up, they stop dripping. Very, very water conservative, very
very efficient and you just don't have to worry about you dripping your faucets and let's say oh gosh remember a few years ago everybody went out of town for the holidays we had a really really cold winter and everybody came home to broken pipes and faucets hey the freeze miser totally prevents that you can put it on once leave it on all winter if you use that hose during the winter months just put a white connector in there put the freeze miser on one side and put the hose on the other neat things you can find them online go to freezemiser.com you can find a lot of hardware stores carry them a lot of good nurseries carry them i know boners has them up in comfort we keep them here in san antonio lots of folks have learned how good the freeze miser is freeze m-i-s-e-r south texas gardening with bob webster is on the air news talk 550 ktsa and fm 1071 all right back to gardening it's gonna be susan and scott and lynn and susan is up first good morning susan good morning bob how are you Oh, it's just a beautiful morning out there. It's a shorts and t-shirt day for me. and So I don't mind if it's not three degrees like it is up in Pinedale, Wyoming. Uh, uh, this is this is just fine. If it just rained, it'd be close to perfect. Yep, I agree. So I have some quick questions for you this morning. I heard you briefly yesterday talk to a woman about her mountain laurel. Uh-huh. Um, and we have a mountain laurel at our house that has, as we've been here for almost two years now, and it has black, the seed pod things uh-huh. are black. Yeah. Okay. Is that normal? That's normal. That's totally normal. Um, they will fall off on their own at some point. They may or may not split open. Mount Laurels didn't make as much seed this year because it's been so dry. But uh, they will either fall off or break off. And come February, they'll make a whole big bunch of fragrant purple blooms, and the whole cycle will start all over again. Well, uh, you know, we walk our dog, and I check out everybody else's stuff in their yards, and um, Mm -hmm. I think that these are the same black pods that were there last year, and we didn't have any, I mean, we had neighbors that had loads and loads of those beautiful blooms on theirs, but we only had a very small handful, which led me to think, I wonder if something's wrong with it. Tree in the shade or in the sun? In the sun. Okay. Um, go through and, you know, clip them off. I mean, at this point, it shouldn't make a lot of difference, but, uh, and don't do any pruning. Don't do any trimming on the tree itself until after bloom season in the spring. Now, little fertilizer in the fall, same thing you put on your grass and other things is just fine. And, um, if it stays as dry as it is, give it a drink about once a month or so. And it's, mountain laurels are funny things. Some of them are naturally heavy bloomers, more heavily in bloom than others. Some of them make little short clusters of flowers. Some of them make very long, large clusters of flowers. Some of them are light purple. Some of them are dark purple. Some of them are pink. Some of them are white. And all those things are in the genetics. And some trees, you know, by their by their genetic makeup are not going to be as colorful or produce as many blooms as others but you you do you give the chant the tree the best chance like i say uh, no pruning until after the blooming is finished uh, monthly watering if it's just really really dry and that good organic fertilizer that'll give you the best shot at flowers this spring and uh, beyond that we'll just have to wait and see okay and then um for the fruit i mean i I mulch the whole bed. I don't have the mulch up against the trunks because I've heard Good. lots and lots about not doing that. But right. when I fertilize, do I pull the mulch back or do I just no, keep it on out on top. on top? 
Yeah, just throw it on top. My favorite, just throw it out on top. (laughs) (laughs) The easier, the better. And just be sure you're not keeping other things in the beds too wet because Mount Laurels hate excess moisture and about the only problems we ever see from Mount Laurels uh, other than occasional ice storm damage but if they stay too wet they will not do well that's that's the quickest way to kill a Mount Laurels to take too good care of it okay okay and then my other question is we have a corner in our yard that has a whole bunch of what look like canna lilies those Uh kind of lilies but in the middle was a stump when we bought the house and now it has these branches that are popping up that um, a gentleman who came to look at our oaks told us was a hackberry. <laughs> and see, and I've heard you say that about ready. yeah. Yeah. So it, there's there's nothing you can you can really do to kill that stump without harming the cannas and hackberries. They are the biggest pain in the world because they resprout and they resprout and they resprout. You can do some good if you would take a carpenter's drill and drill a bunch of holes down in the trunk, fill those with uh, potassium nitrate, saltpeter, stump remover, whatever name you buy, KNO3 under, and uh, that will cause the wood to begin to rot and uh, you'll get rid of it a whole lot faster. But, uh, you know, I have hackberries in places that I can't get to them, can't dig them out, that I've been cutting back for five years, and the blasted things still haven't died. So uh, it will be a bit of a thorn in your side. But if you can, like I say, drill a bunch of holes down into it, uh, get some stump remover, it will not hurt your other plants. It's actually more of a fertilizer to uh, live plants uh, when it gets on the ground. So that's going to be your best bet. Only other option, how big a diameter is this trunk? It's probably eight inches, maybe. Okay. Ten inches. Yeah. Um, again, if you had a, you know, a, I wouldn't do it with a plastic bucket, but a metal paint can or something like that. If you could trim it back, if you could put that upside down over the trunk, and in effect. Uh, everything that's going to try to sprout out is going to be contained in there and this will set it back and you know sometimes will actually kill it it'll certainly make it easier to control the sprouts but uh, hackberries are and, and the hackberries that we fight are a native that was imported from China there's a native hackberry that's not bad but uh, it's just one of the worst <laughs> it's worse as bad as English sparrows and starlings uh, it's just tough to get rid of but uh, just do your best there's just unfortunately Unfortunately, no chemical way, uh, certainly no organic way, and not even any of the synthetic chemicals that will kill the stump without without harming the things around it. Okay, because in a perfect world, I would like to plant a mountain laurel out on that side, uh-huh. but it sounds like that might not be in the cards. Well, it, it, yeah, you can certainly plant a mountain laurel there and uh, would be just fine, but you're going to, and the mountain laurel will ultimately help shade that hackberry out, but in the meantime, you're going to spend some time on your hands and knees cutting back those little sprouts that try to come up through the mountain laurel, but no, there's no reason not to, not to plant a mountain laurel. Just don't get right up against the hackberry because you're going to spend some time in there cutting the hackberry out while you let the mountain laurel grow. So how close would you say I could or should plant it? I'd stay at least six inches away from it. Okay. Oh, I can certainly do that. (laughs) I knew you could. Yeah. So, okay. (laughs) Well, great. Well, once again, you have been just a font of good information, and I marvel at your how quickly 
you pop up with all of these proper names and everything. I mean, you're, oh, my, you know, I have a weird brain. Uh, my oh, my great, weird brain remembers plant names, and I, I can't remember people's names worth a darn. But for some reason, scientific names and plant names just stick in my in my brain. So I guess uh, I guess I'm in the right profession, and it definitely is a gift that I give well, thanks for every day. But so. uh, <laughs> you have a wonderful Thanksgiving, and I look forward to visiting again, Susan. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. Certainly. Goodbye. Got to get a break out of the way here. Scott and uh, Lynn are my next two callers, but I get to talk about the Tank Depot. And I know it hasn't rained much. I know we get into very dry periods, but you know, people that are really into rainwater catchment rarely ever run out of rainwater. Had a fellow talking to me yesterday that he's conservative with his rainwater, but he still has rainwater from those rains a couple of months ago. And, you know, for every thousand square feet of roof you have, you get about 800 gallons of water every time we get an inch of rain. That means back in September, you had the average 3,000 square foot roof. You could have collected darn close to 10,000 gallons of rain depending on where, or of water from that rain, depending on where you live. Problem with uh, rainwater is you've got to have a place to store it, and that's where the tank depot comes in. I know there are lots of places have tanks sitting out by the road trying to get you to buy them, but if you want quality, if you want a good price, if you want somebody to deliver those tanks, well, you want to go see the tank depot. Quite a selection of rainwater tanks, things that don't even look like rainwater tanks. That'll make your homeowners association happy. And uh, it's not just rainwater, of course, although they have all the accessories you need. They'll even help you get the system set up. They don't do gutters, but just about everything else. But they also have open-top tanks, transfer tanks, bait tanks. If it's a tank, the place to shop for it is the tank depot. Uh, weekends, you can go to tank depot and look at page after page of tanks. You want to go see them? Their retail yard is right here, just off Southeast Loop 410, just south of Rigsby Avenue, the Tank Depot. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster, News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening, back to the phone lines, and Scott is up next. Good morning, Scott. Morning. Morning, sir. I'm out in St. Hedwig. You got two okay. quick questions. Got uh-huh. a mountain laurel I planted. It's about five feet tall. Not realizing how big and bushy they become. I've trimmed it back, but it's, <laughs> as it grows, I, I need to move it. When is a good time to transplant that, or what's the chance of it living? Very low. Very okay. low. The mountain laurel is the hardest tree I know of to transplant, and the success rate is is you know pretty close to zero if it's a very big tree even the commercial people who do it all day long lose 30 to 50 percent how big has this tree gotten it's about four and a half five feet tall okay if you want to try to move it i mean if it's got to go somewhere else uh midwinter is going to be the best time and the way you will go about it at least in saint hedwig you've got decent soil so the roots are much you know closer to the base of the tree if you're up in the hill country where it has to spread its roots to the next county to get enough water i tell you the chance for success was zero but what you will do is uh move out about uh maybe a foot from the center of the tree and just in effect dig a trench all the way around it wrap that root ball very very tightly uh 
the professional people actually put burlap around the root ball and then they tie it up with chicken wire because you have to think of that root ball as basically as a giant hen egg and if it gets broken uh, the tree is pretty much done for you just have to keep that root ball intact and uh, when you lift it sort of undercut it uh, it's going to be weigh probably 100 pounds or more so get some good strong help uh, you lift it uh, by the root ball if you're going to drag it a short distance you can put it on an old bed sheet or uh, you know I use a burlap bag grab the corners and it's a whole lot easier than lifting and carrying but slide it over to its new home ease it gently into the soil water it in with some super thrive some garret juice and um if the stars align right, <laughs> it'll take off and keep growing. But don't blame yourself if it doesn't do well. Like I say, Mount Laurels are probably the hardest tree in Texas to transplant. All right. Next thing is a desert rose. I saw one online, and uh-huh. really pretty. Yes, Will they, they do uh, well in in our area and or in my area? Uh, any tips? They are strictly houseplant. They are strictly a house plant. They can go out on the porch or patio um, in the warm months of the year, but they start shivering when it gets to 60 degrees. So, um, again, and golly, they were beautiful back when the only one we had was a dark pink. Nowadays, they're reds, they're whites, they're bicolors, they're people who have huge collections of nothing but desert rose. And uh, they are a beautiful plant. They are very, very easy to grow so long as you never let them get chilled. So I recommend to you very highly. Um, you're not going to find a lot of them, and, and I'd always buy from a nursery. You know, buy them online, they're going to charge you a fortune and, yeah. you know, probably not ship them real well. But um, in the spring of the year, uh, you can get nice small plants for, you know, 5 or $6. You can get really big plants for not too terribly much more. But, no, I recommend it highly. They're gorgeous plants, but uh, they are certainly not outdoor plants. And potted, how long would they, how tall would they grow? Oh, golly, three feet would be a really big one. Three feet would be a okay. magnificent specimen. You get about 50 flowers on that thing, and you'll have a showstopper. Great. Thanks for your time. Oh, always a pleasure, Scott. Good question. Thanks have for a great the call. Day. You too. Bye. All right, Lynn is up next. Good morning, Lynn. Good morning. Good morning. Yes, uh, question um, gardening Excuse me. in the hill country. Uh-huh. Um Blackwell County, 281, 290, um, put in a, just a quick garden in the spring last year, did super well, um, didn't have a lot of dirt, it was some places I wouldn't even say was even a foot, but did super well, was really surprised. Um, Very good. I've about cover crops, is this something we need to do for next year, do we need to fertilize, what, what would you suggest? I, I'm sure it's because the soil was full of nutrients but now that we've used it i'm wondering what it'll be like next year well you is you know you provide good organic fertilizer and your garden will get better and better year after year if you don't plan to grow anything for the winter months sure you can put a cover crop in there like winter peas or vetch or something like that uh to both hold the soil and to put some nutrient back into it but uh there are more things that you can, if you enjoy harvesting from your garden, there are actually more things you can grow in the winter than there are in the summer. 
and uh, they include broccoli and cauliflower and cabbage and radishes and beets and carrots and turnips and onions and spinach and chard and mustard and uh, it, the list just goes on and on. So my garden has something productive in it pretty much 365 days a year. Um, if you said, well, I, I really don't like broccoli or whatever, um, if you're going to plant one thing for the winter months, uh, plant what they call snow peas or edible pod peas because those give you an absolutely delicious crop and yet they're one of the best cover crops in the world because they're a legume and they build the soil just as vetch and clover and things like that would do so uh yes i would definitely i would definitely add fertilizer before you plant your spring veggies but hey you're you're missing out if you're not growing some good wintertime vegetables and if you want something just super easy boy plant some onions i I have people stand in line, including Dr. Kirby and various others, that just can't wait for my onions to, you know, get ready in the springtime. And now is certainly the time of year to plant those. So no reason to leave the soil fallow unless you plan to travel or, you know, just, just don't want to deal with it during the during the winter months. You can grow as productive a garden in the winter as you do in the spring and summer. Okay. Um, now, now mulch. Um, just can we put out mulch through the wintertime? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Mulch is a good idea for, you know, trees and shrubs and uh, any any unused beds. If you're growing wintertime flowers or wintertime vegetables, keep your mulch fairly thin. Uh, if it's an area that is going to lie fallow, three or four inches of mulch is great. Three or four inches of mulch around fruit trees, fig trees, things like that. Uh, one of the best things you can do in the winter months. Okay, great. Um can you give me an idea? I have seen a video over the week, uh, week and they were talking about the different farms. Is uh-huh. that area in what's called Edwards Plateau? Is that area in what's called what now? The Edwards Plateau. They were talking about the different soils and the different dirts, you know, towards the Austin It would area. depend. You're, you're right on the Edwards Plateau. But, um, you know, soils, uh, as far as herbs, as far as vegetable gardening, soils are not really that much of a concern. Now, when you come to plant selections, yes, uh, you will grow some different trees, you'll grow some different native shrubs and things than you would have, you know, if you move further east. Uh, But when it comes to growing uh, herbs and vegetables, uh, you you just plant away. It's uh, your soil type's not going to have much of an impact on what you grow. Okay. And if you want to grow herbs, it's certainly time for thyme and rosemary and parsley and chives and dill and sage and uh, all sorts of good wintertime herbs. Not the only herb we don't plant this time of year is basil. And that those will do okay up there through the wintertime, through the cold, oh, without any protection. Um, the rosemary, really most of your woody herbs are very, very cold hardy. If you're in an exceptionally cold spot, you would want to grow upright rosemary rather than trailing. But uh, sage is totally cold hardy. Thyme is totally cold hardy. Um, when you get into a group of things like lavender, there are varieties that are and varieties that aren't. So you would want to choose carefully. And there are a lot of people. There used to be people grew a lot of uh, lavender up around Blanco. And then we yeah, had a yeah. couple years where we had so much moisture that uh, that's one thing lavender doesn't like but uh, yeah you run a little colder than uh, you know other parts of the hill country but there are plenty of herbs flowers vegetables lots of things you can plant that'll do beautifully for you okay well then I have one other question about you shrubs I'm trying to find something for um, more of a privacy mm-hmm. 
something that will grow in that area, you know, I guess would kind of have to be drought tolerant as well. Um, okay. Someone had said something about this Esperanza that's kind of a yellow, has no. a yellow bloom. I don't it's no? beautiful, okay. but it'll freeze to the ground every winter for you. Uh, if you want something evergreen, um, evergreen sumac uh, is a native shrub that would do very well. There are some beautiful forms of Yopon holly. I like one called Pride of Houston, even though you're very different from Houston. Uh, Pride of Houston is one of the best varieties of upright Yopon holly. It'll grow 10, 12 feet tall, red berries, dense foliage, deer-resistant. Um, it would be one of the best things you can plant. And then, of course, mountain laurels will give you make a nice barrier hedge for you. And they're evergreen and give you flowers. And once established, they're very drought tolerant. There, there are several things you could consider. But uh, evergreen sumac, mountain laurel, the... Uh, uh, Yopon Holly, those are probably going to be about my top three. Okay, thank you. All right, well, I appreciate your time. You have a wonderful day. You do the same, and thank you. Thank Enjoy. you. Uh-huh. All right, let me get the last break of the hour out of the way. Ron will be up next when we come back, and I get to talk to you about the Cedar Eater of Texas. And, boy, talk about living in the Hill Country. Uh, you're going to be fighting ash juniper. <laughs> it's just, it is just the scourge of the Hill Country. And, fortunately, we have a company like the Cedar Eater of Texas that can take care of your second-growth cedar problems. I mean, they can clear acres in a single day. Rougher the terrain, of course. They move a little more slowly, but uh, flatter land, I mean, it's a lots and lots of acres they can do in a single day. The machine cuts off the cedar at ground level, which kills it, grinds it into a nice mulch, all in one operation. If you have problems with uh, maybe some bigger trees that have died of drought or oak wilt, they have a machine called the grubber. They can safely take those down and grind them before they fall, and with no danger of spreading oak wilt, uh, fight mesquite. They have a mesquite call, machine called the grubber that actually rips it out of the ground. Cedar Eater offers many different services, and, uh, you know, down in South Texas, when it comes to clearing the cinderas and things, they can do miles and miles in a single day. Of course, that brush is going to grow back. That's the nice thing about cedar. If you cut it down properly, like the Cedar Eater does, it's dead and gone. Learn more. Give them a call, 210-745-2743. That's 210-745-2743 for the Cedar Eater of Texas. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right. Back to gardening. Back to the phone lines. Ron's turn. Good morning, Ron. Hey, good morning, Bob. And how are you? Ah, Doing well, thank you. How about yourself? Oh, I'm not doing too bad. I just want to just give, her, uh, give you our uh, general location. We're about 15 miles west of uh, Corpus Christi down here. Okay. Um, Back in, I would say, March, February, March, I uh, started an avocado plant. This is try number four. But uh, this one got a little bit bigger than all the other ones. Uh And uh, it started to, well, I put it out one day, and it's got about seven leaves on it right now. And it stands about a foot and three inches or something like that. Okay. And... uh, I brought it into the house, and I noticed that a bug got into it, and the leaves started turning brown, and I got rid of the bug. So, um, so where, did, know, where did you get this? Where did you get this avocado tree, Ron? Um, from I just grew it from the seed. 
Oh, okay. Okay, because if you're serious about growing avocados, you would need to get one of the Mexican varieties that uh, is going to be cold-hardy for you. Avocados don't like being inside. They want to stay outside. When you grow from a seed, you will have to protect it from freezing weather. Um, but, uh, again, leave it out as much as you possibly can. Only bring it in when it's going to freeze. Remember to water it really thoroughly when you water, then let it get dry, maybe a knuckle deep, and then water thoroughly again. But if you really want to get some avocados, uh, get Layla or Joy or one of the Mexican varieties since you don't have to worry about cold, especially where you are. Okay. Yeah, I, I think these uh, avocados came from Mexico, so um, hopefully it's, it's, it's in the right area. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I put it outside, and it's been outside. Um, I have it in one of those um, cloth pots that will, you know, that does yeah. the self-cleaning yeah, and everything. Pots. Uh-huh. And, uh, we, and we we also do our own compost here. We've been doing it for many, many, many years and have the soldier flies here. And, I mean, mm-hmm. it's just, we don't, you know, we cut that down because we know it's too hot to just sure. throw it in there for. Sure. Well, it's going to be easier to maintain in the ground than it is uh, in a pot. And uh, just without knowing the variety, can't tell you a whole lot more. If you want to talk a little further, we can. I'll get uh, Don to put you on hold. We'll be right back. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right. Let's get back to gardening on this nice, nice Sunday morning out here. A little overcast. Uh, I ran into rain coming in this morning, but wasn't in Bernie, wasn't in San Antonio. But uh, nice to see that it can at least give us a little moisture every now and then. Back to the phone lines. Uh, Ralph, we'll talk with Ralph a little bit more, and then it'll be Frank. And I'm sorry, with Ron a little bit more, and then it'll be Frank and Ralph. Uh, good morning again, Ron. Hey, Bob, how are you? Good. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, I'm uh, here. I'm, uh, you just couldn't get rid of me that quick. Um, now, with the avocado, again, is that uh, if it gets too dry, then the leaves are still going to go brown and stuff like that in that pot? Well, when it, if it gets too dry, you have root damage, and the result of the root damage will be leaves getting crisp and brown. Yes, sir. Okay, okay. Well, then that could be the reason. I mean, I, I do water it. I don't, you know, to just... To, just the private, but uh, maybe I'm not watering it enough. That's, I mean, well, that's the, you, the, you need to water very, very thoroughly when you water, and then wait until that soil is dry about a knuckle deep, and then water very, very thoroughly once again. Uh, watering's easy. Just There's no such thing as too much water, but there certainly is too often. So when you water it, flood it, but then let it go until the soil is good and dry on the surface, and then flood it again. Oh, all right, all right, good. Now, I do have another um, fruit tree, and I have like three or four figs. Uh, one's in the ground, and the other ones are in the pot. And um, my wife is over here, and she has, you know, she, she can tell you what the brands are. Yeah, um, hi, Bob. This is Renee. Um, I had actually traded these figs for, uh, I, I grow native mulberries from seed and there's okay. tons of people around here that want them. So I traded them for some fig trees and the guy, we never had figs before. And the guy gave me um, brown turkey, um, mission, and I can't remember the other variety. Okay. Um, well, figs, the care of figs is pretty much, pretty much the same in all cases. They're going to need room because they're going to make uh, fairly big trees. They need lots of moisture. They'd like to be mulched. 
Um, and beyond that, you know, there's not a whole lot of secrets to growing figs. She'll do very well with figs, but remember uh, all the ones you mentioned, in fact, uh, virtually all the figs out there with the exception of one or two dwarfs, they want to make plants that are going to get about 10 feet tall and about 15 feet wide. So give them plenty of room, but uh should be super easy to grow, but they're shallow-rooted, they love mulch, and they love lots of water. Okay, okay, because, yeah, we've been having a tough time with them. We've had them, well, they're still in very large nursery pots at this point. We, we Well, one of them we planted in the ground, but it's not doing too well. The leaves fell off of it. Um, we've only had well, very sparse figs this spring. Um, it's, you know, we're not, just wondering you're not watering enough for an ice. Okay, not, we were thinking of climate. not fertilized. It's not too hot for figs down here, though? No, it absolutely is not too hot for figs. Okay. Okay. They're okay. tropical plants. Guys, I've got a lot of callers been waiting quite some time. So it's been good to talk to you and I appreciate it. But uh let's see what Frank's up to. Good morning, Frank. How's it going, Bob? It's going well, sir. How can I help you? Um I'd uh, like to uh tell you first of all something amusing. Uh I've got you on a boom box out here by my well house and I'm doing some stuff outside and okay. whenever your dog bark my dogs can hear that, and they bark back. <laughs> that, and I know that is, down, but they pick up on that so intently. That, I mean, that's, that's funny. Yeah, life's a little different since they threw us out of the radio station, and uh, virtually all the folks on KTSA uh, are, are broadcasting from our own homes or businesses and things because we have to keep the station a safe place. <laughs> exactly. That's, that, if we could, that'll make you if we could only find a button on our phones to delete the news at the top of the hour, we'd be cool. <laughs> I just tuned it out myself. Well, what's I going on too. in the garden today? Uh, I picked up a friend of mine yesterday, and we went and helped a neighbor of ours move a refrigerator. And uh-huh. at her house, I hadn't been over to her house in about three or four years. And she had the most cut ants I have ever seen in my entire life. And there were different holes, different, I guess, uh, I don't know if you'd call them mounds because there's not mounds. They're going down in the ground. And like you said, they've got chambers and everything. And we walked around her house within probably 20 feet, you know, radius outside of her house, the entire diameter of her house, you know, all the way around. And we counted 30 of these things. And... They were going in every direction, and most of them were carrying leaves. She's lost roses. She's lost small trees out there because of them. And she said it's all because of the drought and everything. And uh, I told her some of the things that you've always found it out on the radio. I've never dealt with cut ants myself, but uh, Tanglefoot, I told her about that. And, you know, getting down in the chamber with a uh, – piece of pipe or rebar or whatever and trying to get down in there but it is incredible it's like world war three going on it's like these there it, it's incredible i've never seen anything oh, yeah. like that in my life well cut ants are a real issue and when it gets as dry as it is you know they're out there after they have their favorites uh they definitely go after roses they go after crepe myrtles they go after you know smilax vines trees right. the tanglefoot is is an easy way to protect uh bushy plants with multiple trunks like roses it is tough but they do have huge chambers and you know you have to realize some of these things have gotten established over the years and it's sometimes 
sometimes takes quite a while to wipe them out. But, uh, you know, I would do a combination. I'd put some of the wettable surface, uh, wettable sulfur on the surface all around. Um, around I would try, whole, yeah, just over the, the whole. they're going into uh, really just over the whole area, uh, anywhere you know around that hole, because what you're trying to do is kill the fungus. They don't eat the leaves. They're, they're, they, what they eat is a fungus that grows on the leaves, and they're simply right. taking those leaves down to the underground chambers. And you, sulfur is a natural fungicide, so you use a wettable sulfur on the surface, and then when it gets watered, it actually carries it down into the soil. And that's what's going to long-term help get them under control. Now, again, some people have had luck flooding them out. I've had people recently tell me that adding some vinegar to the water that they are flooding the chambers with seems to reduce their numbers. But, I, you know, I, I feel for anybody that has big problems with cut ants up you know, close to home because uh, they can be the devil to get rid of. But start by protecting the trees with single trunk and things like that. You can keep the cut ants from going after those leaves, but it's a long and sometimes, you know, difficult process to get them under control. But the sulfur, uh, the vinegar water, those are good places to start. You would probably put that vinegar water, uh, I'll tell her, half and half maybe? I probably don't even have to go that much. I go maybe uh, four parts water to one part vinegar. If you're using the strong vinegar, get at least the pickling vinegar. That nine percent is probably strong enough to do what you want to do. Okay, we'll try that. And she was just beside herself. I mean, she was talking about uh, pouring gas down in there. I'm like, don't do that. I mean, yeah. you know, you're gonna, you don't want to do that because uh, <laughs> you know you're gonna create other issues. But I have never yeah. seen that. I mean, the entire well. ground. They were marching like, you know, Grant took Richmond. I mean, it was yeah. crazy. They're, they are they are a real problem, and they, I mean, there have been millions of dollars spent uh, by the timber industry in East Texas trying to figure out how to control them, and nobody's come up with a real good solution yet. So keep after them, but don't ignore them. They're only going to get worse. So uh, do everything you can, and uh, uh, again, if even some of the talk to people around there, somebody may have their own home remedy. I know uh, Sandy Oaks Olive Orchards was actually using products containing cinnamon seem to have an effect against them so uh, uh, throw the whole arsenal at them and in the meantime protect your trees uh, anything with a single trunk with a tangle foot and uh, I'll sure let you know if anything new comes on the market or any new technology comes along all right I appreciate that we listen to you all the time and uh, really enjoy your program well, I appreciate it, Frank. You guys have a wonderful, wonderful weekend and very happy Thanksgiving, and uh, we'll talk you again. You too, man. Thank Bye-bye. you, sir. Thank you. Bye. All right. Let's get a break out of the way here. Ralph will be up uh, next when we come back. I get to talk about Wild Birds Unlimited, and... Uh, you know, kids are, well, lots of them are back in school, but they're spending more time at home. And if you really want to get them occupied, if you really want them getting learning and having a greater appreciation of nature, get them into bird watching, get them into feeding the birds, getting them into really getting involved with nature. Get them over to Wild Birds Unlimited. You know, Wild Birds Unlimited actually has starter kits for people that have never gotten into birding before with quality feeders, with quality seed. The seed makes a big, big difference. 
difference. Now, Wild Birds Unlimited has some special blends now for the winter months because birds' diets change during cool weather as opposed to hot weather. Uh, Wild Birds Unlimited knows all this. They are the real pros when it comes to birding. And uh, they also have, if you want to attract a wide range of birds in over the winter months, check out some of their suet feeds. Uh, suet feeders very, very inexpensive. There are different kinds of suet cake you can put out. And uh, the birds that eat a lot of bugs during the warm months, hey, they really, really do appreciate the suet in the winter months. Wildbirds Unlimited, oh gosh, they've just got so many different things, including gift certificates. Great place to do some shopping for the holidays. Uh, anybody who appreciates nature, anyone who has a yard, you're going to find something nice for them at Wildbirds Unlimited. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. It's going to be Ralph and Bobby and uh, Joe up next, and it's your turn, Ralph. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. Uh, Good morning, sir. Today, really, I really enjoy your program, and my question is, I have some crepe myrtles in Lavernia in a sandy soil, and I'd like to transplant them to Carnes County in uh, alkaline soil because I'm not going to make, yeah, not going to make any difference to them. How, how big are they, Ralph? Uh, six to eight feet tall. Okay, and how long have they been in the ground? Uh, three or four years. Okay. Um, do it this winter while the leaves are off the trees, really any time we normally say between Thanksgiving and uh, Valentine's Day. As warm as it's been, you may want to wait a little bit later. I'll get you off the hook for another two or three weeks. But... Um, just remember the most important thing is the root system cannot dry out. So if this is going to be, you know, if you can dig them up, uh, wrap those uh, the root ball up in, you know, wet burlap or something like that and transport them to the new location, uh, replant them immediately, they should be fine. If it's going to be, okay. since you're going some distance, if it's going to be any longer than that, go buy one of your good nurseries down there and they will probably give you some uh, big nursery containers go ahead pot them up water them in uh you just uh crepe myrtles just simply they're not as bad as roses but uh the biggest problem you have is uh those roots drying out and uh okay. if you can carry them uh in a closed i mean if you've got a camper on your pickup or at least a cover would be better than just having the wind beating up on them uh wrap them up you know with an old bed sheet or something like that because they actually lose a lot of moisture directly out through the bark and we've just got to cut down on this dehydration to get them moved successfully but uh have the new hole dug okay. if they're new hole ready uh Get as big a root ball as you can, wrap it up, keep them moist. Once they've been replanted, just every time uh, get a chance, pick up the hose and just spray up and down the trunks. And uh, those aren't oversized. I give you a pretty good chance of success on those. And like I say, probably mid-December on through mid-February will be the best time to get the job done. Sounds great. And on a fig tree, what about... Yes. Uh, cutting back the fig tree that's getting 12, 10, 12 feet tall. Will it hurt to cut that back to five or six feet so I can reach them? <laughs> well, you, you'll limit the number of figs. 
uh, but it won't hurt the tree at all. You know, uh, okay. some people some people leave them tall, figuring that the birds will just get the ones on top. But I find the birds will take the best ones wherever they are. But uh, yeah, if you need to if you need to cut them back, wait until they're fully as dormant as they're going to get. Wait until all the leaves are off of them, and then you might as well prune off some of that tall growth. But the lower bushy growth growth that's coming out around the base. I mean, figs aren't grafted, so everything that comes out high, low, anywhere uh, is going to be the variety of fig that you have. So um, leave as much of the low bushy growth as you can. That way you'll still get a good crop. Just cut back the part that, like you say, you can't reach and uh, uh, wait until they're fully dormant. And uh, sounds like a good project. Remember, they've got a, a sticky sap that sap that stains. So uh, don't be wearing your Sunday best when you get out there to do this heavy-duty pruning. That uh, sounds good. Uh, one more comment, if you have the time, the fellow right that ahead. called about, about cut-ins. I remember uh-huh. a couple of years ago, you talked about agricultural lime on cut-ant mound, or on the dens, not the feeder hole, but on the dens. Right. And I have tried that, five, six, eight pounds of agricultural lime, and it takes a month or so, and it wipes them out. Wow. Very I have good. never had them come back. Well, that's yeah. you know, that's good to know. It it's one of those things. The lime, the sulfur, uh, it works for some folks and other. I think they're just you know different ants are more resistant to different things we try to kill them with. But uh, uh, that's wonderful to know if the lime's doing the job for you. That's perfect. Yeah, I I had a large uh, area of dirt. You know, the dirt was already piled up two feet high, and I put oh, yeah. about ten pounds of lime on there and. It took them out, and since then I have used, I mix the lime with the sulfur and just do a 50-50 mix, and, uh-huh. but it always always seems to work. I've got quite a bit of acreage here and several places where they were an issue, and sure. I have no more. And how long did it take you to see results? Uh, one to two months. Very it's good. It's not fast. That's well, but that's not bad if you truly are getting rid of them. I, I I know a lot of people that if they could look down the road and say six eight weeks from now I'm not going to have any more that that'd be a great relief. So thanks for sharing with us. I really appreciate it. Yes, sir. And uh, yeah. you, uh, thank you for all your information. It's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Get out and have a good weekend. Good Thanksgiving. And Bobby is up next. Uh, good morning, Bobby. Hey, Bob. Hey, good morning. Okay, I have a problem. My grass looks like something ate it. It's St. Augustine grass, and it Uh was very nice and pretty, but then the rain, it didn't rain anymore, and it looks like ants or something. They followed the, the, um, what do you call it, the... uh, Runners? Yes, and they Uh ate it, and it looks, you can pick them up, and they disintegrate, but they're hollow inside, and it's gray, and it's all over the yard on and one side of the you, house. Where do you live, Bobby? Uh, off of Wetmore, okay, behind the airport. Yeah. yeah, we're seeing a lot of this over toward Houston, but I haven't seen much of it in San Antonio. You're probably fighting something called sod webworms. 
um, they can just almost overnight, There's it's a little moth that flies in and lays the egg, and they will take an absolutely beautiful stand of uh, St. Augustine, and, and within a week's time, it's just almost like you have nothing left. I yeah. would give it a fairly heavy spraying with spinosad. Spinosad kills them very effectively, but it's safe for people and pets. But um, I, I, I most definitely, I, I would spray that area thoroughly, and I'd you know do a kind of a perimeter around the damaged area, maybe ten feet out into what good grass you have, and then we'll have to give it a little time, see how much live grass is still in there that can come out. You may end up going to other parts of your yard where you have good grass and just dig up some little four or five inch squares and replant back into that area because, uh, as you so well described, they they can be just devastating. But oh uh, yeah. It's like overnight, like you're right, overnight it was gone, you know, and it's nothing but dirt. I mean, not even the weeds are there. <laughs> it has well, some weeds in between, but not even the weeds are there. Well, they, they when they're hungry, they're not picky, you know. Uh, Spinosad is the product you want to use, and I'd get after it sometime soon. It's it's totally safe for you, and like I say, safe for your dogs and cats. And okay, would you spell that, else. please? Uh, S is in Sam. P is in P is in pulse. S P I N O S A D. Okay, and you buy that at any nursery or? Yeah, any good nursery should have it. Some of them, sometimes you get it under a funny name. There's one brand out there called Captain Jack's Dead Bug, but <laughs> that okay. pretty much describes what it does. But uh, Spinosad or I like, they're actually uh, a company. I'm trying to remember the name of the company, uh, Natural Guard, I think, uh, is putting it out in a combination with insecticidal soap, and they just call it Spinosad soap. Mm-hmm. That is the form that I have found to be most effective. And for small areas, you can get a little ready-to-use sprayer, but bigger areas, you're probably going to buy the concentrate, dilute it according to the directions, and get that grass sprayed as soon as you can. Okay. Okay. And then, like you say, just replant some grass in that area, and hopefully it'll grow. Because we, well, we had put the Medina has to grow, uh-huh. you know, and it was looking nice. But then, like I said, overnight. Yeah. Yeah, these, these blasted things. I have a have a friend that inherited a, a house in Houston. Um, he went over, did some work over there, came back to San Antonio for a week. When he left, it was a beautiful yard. When he went back a week <laughs> later, you know, it had gone from but, being yard of the month to, uh, you know, looking like Death Valley. But yeah. uh the, the good news is that you can control them safely. Many times, and one thing I would do before you start transplanting grass, get down on your hands and knees and look at those rhizomes. Look at the runners. If the runners are still green, the grass will come back out in the spring. If the no, runners are brown. Nothing. There is absolutely nothing. Well, <laughs> I've already looked at it. <laughs> okay. Well, Uh, You can either go out and, you know, is this a shady area or a sunny area? It's pretty sunny. Okay. If you go out to buy grass, look for a St. Augustine variety called Floratam, F-L-O-R-A-T-A-M. 
Florida okay. is the best St. Augustine for the sun. If you have other areas of your yard that look nice, nothing at all wrong with, you know, taking some, just dig some little, uh, like I say, about four-inch squares out and transplant over. But uh, if you go out to buy grass, don't let anybody sell you Raleigh. Don't let them sell you most of the other varieties out there. If you end up buying some pieces to cut up and plant, uh, right. Florida is going to be your best variety to plant. Okay, okay. And also, I have a Myers lemon that I've had for about four years, and this is the first year that it blooms plenty of little flowers. And it's uh-huh. got little lemons, but they seem to fall off. So, um, I don't know. Maybe. I put the eggshells in there, and I put food for, uh, fertilizer food for them, uh-huh. and still, I've had no lemons yet. <laughs> well... Number one, you're wasting your time with eggshells. You're reading too much on the Internet. That may work okay. in, uh, in the Northeast, but, you know, that's uh, you, you just – we've got so much lime in our water and our soil. Eggshells, maybe it's, maybe it's better putting them in the trash, but they're not helping your lemon trees. Go okay. to a liquid fertilizer. Uh, Medina makes one they call has to grow plant. H-A-S-T-A, has to grow plant. Uh, be feeding your lemon every couple of weeks with that. And okay. um, water thoroughly whenever that soil is dry on the surface. You should be able to get some pretty good lemons out of that tree. Sounds like it's mature. If it bloomed well last year, it should bloom well this spring. But want yeah. to see it with a little more nutrition, a little bit more water, and uh, leave it outside unless temperatures are going to get down below 25, 26 degrees. It'll take a light freeze without any problem. It's really cold. You either need to cover it or bring it in, but uh, let it spend as much time outside as possible. That's what it'll take to develop some good lemons. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Bob, and you have a happy Thanksgiving, you and your family. You do the same, Bobby. I sure appreciate Bye. it. Thank you. And goodbye. All right, well, uh, we need to take a break here, and uh, I get to talk to you about, again, somebody that I respect so much. I'll be seeing her next week. I'm low on the vitamins that she provides me with, and I'm talking about Rhonda's Nature's Way. I want to buy quality. When I spend my money, I want to buy things that work. And let me tell you, there's a big difference in what you're going to find on grocery store shelves or chain pharmacy shelves and Rhonda's Nature's Way. Rhonda has products that she has personal experience with. She's been doing this for 40 years. I'd say she knows what she's doing, but she has all the most up-to-date things. She does the up-to-date uh, light therapies, for instance, uh, red light therapy, the beamer light therapy. She does reflexology at the north side store and uh, let me tell you what I, I just believe that to stay healthy you know keep your immune system strong I take an immune support formula I get from Rhonda I work a lot out in the sun let me tell you getting electrolytes into your system is really important I get something called Ultima that Rhonda has there on the shelves and uh, it's just it, there's so many ways that Rhonda can help you live better and if you have issues with sleep if you have issues with digestion there are natural things you can do beyond pharmaceutical medication which always comes with side effects why don't you get by and see Rhonda sometime she's closed on Sunday every Sunday but open the other six days a week their south side store located on Southwest Military Drive. Their Northside store is in the shopping center at the corner of I-10 in Callahan, and she's usually got some sort of special deal going on on, uh, you know, a one-item sale, as you might say. So always check her out online. And like I say, it's uh, you're likely to find me over at the Northside store because I really believe in the things I get from Rhonda at Rhonda's Nature's Way. 
All right, back to gardening. The next three callers are Joe, Robin, and Kevin. And Joe is up first. Good morning, Joe. Yeah, I needed to ask you. Uh, I have some esperanzas, and they have the seeds hanging off of them. Yes, sir. Uh, can I plant those seeds for next year to grow on the side of my house, or do you have? Can, will they grow from the seeds? Well, yes and no. They will grow from a seed, but you don't want them to. Um, the Esperanza, the gold star, uh, is so superior to the old ones that grow from the seed. The ones that come up from a seed will have much smaller flower clusters. They'll have many fewer flowers. If you want more, you can take cuttings from a big plant and root those, and they'll be genetically identical. But uh, I just, I mean, you can plant the seeds. They would sprout. They would grow. But they're just not going to be nearly as good a plant as the one that you have. So uh, uh, if you cut the seed pods off, it will help them to bloom more. But I'd throw those seeds in the compost pile. I'll not plant them to grow. Okay. Okay. Uh, the next question. When is time to uh, fertilize with my green and grow Medina? I have some sod that I planted last year, and I, I did it I, about a month ago. I, I, I fed it some Medina green and grow. When's the next time I should do it? About two months from now, I try to do it about every three months where you're looking to get real good growth. So if you did it back uh, mid-October, you figure early 2021 will be uh, the next time you need to put it out. Uh, you're good for at least 90 okay. days. I planted some uh, 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 sod underneath one of my trees and yes, last year, and it's all brown. The, the, the Raleigh grass or the, what do you call it, the grass next to it's green. Uh-huh. Uh, but this one, this the sod all died, and I want to. I was going to plant some uh, winter rye on in that area. Do I yeah. just pour the winter rye seeds on top of the sod, or do I put yeah. dirt on yeah. it? No, just sprinkle them out there and uh, water, and you'll have green in less than a week. You'll have a a nice looking area out there. Uh, you know, there are many varieties of St. Augustine. Some of them are much more tolerant than others of shade. Um, if you decide to plant any more, I would either get Delmar or Palmetto. I would stay away from Raleigh. Raleigh's very susceptible to brown patch disease. It doesn't do as well in the shade. But uh, Palmetto and Delmar, but uh, I wouldn't fool with it now. I think your best bet for now is just get some winter rice seed, throw it out. You'll water it lightly every day, and uh, you'll have green sprouts in less than a week. Yeah, but that sod's not going to come back, is it? That's, I couldn't oh, tell you without yeah. looking at it. Get down and yeah. look at the runners. Don't look at the blades, uh-huh. but look at the runners. If the runners are green, uh-huh. yes, sir, it will come back in the spring. If the runners are brown, probably not. Okay. Now, one more thing. I, I called you a while back about catching old skunks out here by the medical center. <laughs> I, yes, sir. I got up to 20, and I just couldn't do it anymore. And so I quit, and I went to the neighborhood to find out what was going on, and I found out. The people across the way on the ditch were all, and around the neighborhood, were feeding the, the deer corn. And I uh-huh. think the skunks were coming. And that's what was bringing the skunks in, is the deer feed. I don't so think there's don't, any doubt of that. Yep. Deer so, food and so people that feed, leave. Yeah, people that leave food out for their dogs and cats, too. Uh, boy, skunks and yeah. raccoons are going to show up, and sometimes people get a real unpleasant surprise when they open their garage door and, and that little black and white thing is sitting there looking at them. So, no, I'm not big into feeding uh, anything other than birds in an urban area like that. So wish you could yeah. convince your neighbors to do otherwise. Well, there's plenty of deer out here, but I'm not feeding them anymore, that's for sure. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, well, that's all. Well, I laugh every time I think about your story. I'm just glad you haven't gotten sprayed in the process. But, uh, no, yeah, let them, let them go bug your neighbors for a while. Okay, thank you. You're welcome, Joe. Thank you. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, next up is Robin. Good morning, Robin. Good morning, Bob. I get to talk to you twice a week. Boy, I'm my lucky. lucky, my lucky week. <laughs> hey, uh, you were talking about Esperanza quite a bit this morning. Um, my neighbor has a couple that are only about four feet tall, mm-hmm. and we need to, we need to transplant them. Um, should we wait till they die back after a freeze, or can we do that now? Actually, Esperanza is a tropical shrub. Uh, the best time to transplant would be just as they begin growth in the spring, probably about March or so. Um, mm. the, you, you will shock the plant when you transplant it, and sometimes if you then get a hard freeze on top of the shock, they don't survive. And being tropical, there are plants that want to grow year-round, so we, yeah, it's just, it, mid-winter, unless we just have no winter at all, it's just not the best time. If you can put it off until, uh, like I say, until it starts to warm up in the spring, that will be the very best time to transplant the Esperanzas. If they have to be dug up now, if, you know, you're going to do a addition on the home or something like that, and it's dig them up or lose them, what I would actually do is dig them up, put them in to a pot, put them into a nursery container, keep them there over the winter months so that you can protect them if it gets really, really cold. But uh, just digging them up and, and transplanting them, this is just not the best time of year to do that. Okay, so like February would be better. February, March, you know, we never know when winter's going to leave uh, and when spring's going to come around. But just as soon as we start getting past the danger of a real hard freeze, that's going to be the perfect time. Now, are these the big yellow ones, or are they some of the new more compact ones, the oranges, the kind of reddish ones? There's a yellow with a gold center. It always stays smaller like that. Do you know which one this, these are? These were in the shade, and uh-huh. this is... This is my neighbor. She wants to put in a screen porch, so they have to go out. Okay. And they've never bloomed because of the shade. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if they if they have to be dug this time of year, rather than replanting them in the ground, uh, most nurseries will give you, if they have any used nursery containers, uh, get some five-gallon nursery cans, transplant them into those. That way you can keep them watered. You can bring them in if it's going to get super cold, and you'll have nice plants to replant in the spring. Okay. Now, and another question, she also has some privets there. They're about, oh, four feet tall, very gangly, Uh and we wanted to transplant those, too. Now, those you can move right now. Okay. Do I need to cut back at all when I move them? How how tall are they? How big are they? They're about four feet. Okay. You could cut them back. Yeah, you could cut them back slightly if you want. But remember, it's the leaves that are what are, in effect, making the the nutrients for the plants. The leaves are supporting, or they're absorbing the sun's energy and converting that into what feeds the plant, what keeps the plant going. So we don't want to cut them back too heavily and wind up taking all the leaves off. So I, I keep my pruning to a minimum, but if you need to cut them back a little bit just to be able to handle them, you know, that's not the end of the world, but no major pruning until they start to come out next spring. Okay. And do we feed our Mars lemon all winter long? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. It's a tropical plant by nature. It's used to being fed all winter. Now, don't, you know, buy the chemical synthetic fertilizers, even if they say lemon food on there. You always want to stay organic because that doesn't, that actually makes them more cold hardy rather than less cold hardy. When you put on uh, miracle Grow or some of those things, you're encouraging a burst of growth, which is less cold hardy. So, um, yeah, feed them with has to grow, feed them with a natural organic product, one of the Fox Farm products or something like that, but do feed them. That, that's what will give you the better blooms in the spring. That will give you the good lemons next summer. Okay. Well, thank you so much. You have yes. a wonderful Thanksgiving. Thank you, you so much. You do the same, Robin. It's a real pleasure. Bye. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye. All right, Kevin, hang on just a minute. I need to talk about one of our good sponsors, and that would be Air Conditioning Service Company. Again, you know, it's kind of like water softener people. It seems like every third ad on the radio is for an air conditioning company. So how do you choose a good company? Well, I like to go with a company I know, with people that I've known for many, many years. I want a company that works on all different brands of air conditioners and heaters. And I want a company that's not out just to, you know, lots of these folks, uh, they'll give it a quick look and say, oh, got to have a new system, uh, $5,000, please. The air conditioning service company, their technicians work on all brands of heaters and air conditioners, and they are there to keep them going as long as possible to keep them operating safely. Now, there comes a time when, yes, you may want to upgrade to a more efficient unit, and air conditioning company service company will happily help you. But that's not the first thing they're going to do. first thing they're going to do is uh, make sure your system is operating safely and operating, uh, you know, as well as it can, and <laughs> they're going to keep it going for you as long as it's practical to do so. That's the kind of people I like and trust, people that you wouldn't mind having in your home. And like I say, I've known the principals of Air Conditioning Service Company for many, many years. Ray and his people are just absolutely top-notch. If you'd like to learn more, go to their website, staycoolsa.com, or give them a call. You can get reach them at 695. Let's see. <laughs> I'm running through the uh, trying to keep all these uh, numbers in my brain, and uh, that's one of them that sometimes gets away from. I believe it's uh, uh, 695-9550. Uh, but check them out online. Go to Air Conditioning Service Company. Go to staycoolsa.com. Or let's see, the number is going to be 796-9550. 796-9550 for Air Conditioning Service Company. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right. Let's get back to gardening. It's going to be Kevin and Bernie and Gloria and Kevin is up first. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning. So Hi, I've got a 15 by 15 um, raised plant or raised bed garden area. Okay. And I found like the Bear County Master Gardeners from the Texas A&M Extension and the Bear County, you know, AgriLife Extension from Texas A&M and all that stuff uh-huh. to give me an idea of like planting times and seed varieties and all that stuff. So two parts. One, are those pretty good dates and times and seed, and are those good references? And also, mom loves flowers more than gardens, so um, <laughs> is there something similar for flowers here in uh, San Antonio? Um, I... I don't know anything that is quite as specific. Now, the... 
I, I, I'm not as crazy about some of the extension service varieties. I tend to go with things that are tried and true. Uh, if you ever buy our nursery, Shades of Green, we have our own guide with planting dates and to some extent varieties. The, the thing is that the big seed companies, who are the ones that support the extension service, they don't have the little guy in mind. They want to sell, you know, pounds of seed, not packages of seeds. And so many of their varieties are, well, like if we take tomatoes, for instance, they do almost all uh, determinate tomatoes, which means they produce all their fruit at once, and then uh, mm-hmm. they're done with it, and you end up having to go plant some more. because, right. uh, uh, And, and I, I, you know, there are some good new varieties out there occasionally, but... Uh, I, I want some I can depend on, so I have to say that I tend to do more heirloom varieties, uh, things that I know will work well. I always have a section of my garden I use for experimenting, but, uh, you know, uh, by the time you find out whether it's good or not, sometimes it's too late to plant more. So uh, yeah. I would certainly consider that a guideline. I know Fanix Nursery puts out their own gardening guideline, and Fanix has been in business for over 80 years. They know gardening very well. So I, I tend to look at several different sources. Sources. It's uh, uh, you know it's kind of like listening to the news. If you listen to the same station all the time, you're, you're not going to hear the whole story. Uh, I'm not mm-hmm. even sure who we're not going to get into the news now. But uh, <laughs> when it comes to gardening, I I take anything I read from anyone as a suggestion rather than as a rule. I guess that's the nicest way to put it. So uh, uh, I'm not crazy about some of the things the Extension Service does, and uh, like I say, certainly don't go with their fertilizing recommendations because they're all into synthetic chemicals and tend to break your soil down. But And, and, you know, that being said, uh, there's some good gardeners and there's some good varieties out there. So I I think if I were going to give a gardener one bit of advice, it would be keep a diary, keep a record of what has done well for you, and, you know, experiment with some stuff, but plant the mm. stuff that you know is going to do well for you. Um, well, the, the only thing that's done well for me are coleus, so, uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, those are with flowers. Yeah, with flowers, it is a lot, uh, it has a lot to do with season, and I don't think they put one out. We have a handout we give away uh, on cool season color, and we have one we give away on warm season color. And you don't have to be nearly as exact on your planting dates. Uh, You have to get the sun right. But I tell you, if you've got sunny beds in the winter months, pansies, Johnny jump-ups, and there are, you know, 50 varieties of those, those are going to be your best all-winter flowers. Uh, Dianthus, snapdragons, petunias, stock, alyssum, those are all things you plant in the fall. They bloom through the fall. If it's cold winter, they stop blooming but continue growing, and then they're back in full bloom again in the spring. And uh, in the shade, you know, you pretty much not as much choice, but you can go with cyclamen for blooms. You can go with ornamental kale, ornamental cabbage, and you say your wife loves color. Well, sometimes you can uh, you can combine. There are things like some of the kale varieties that are good to look at and also good to eat. There's a chard out there called rainbow chard. Absolutely beautiful plant, but it's also very tasty. So you may find some crossover there. And, uh, you know, then, uh, and then we have things like nasturtiums where even the flowers are edible. So, uh, there's some little fun things along like that. And then, you know, for the warm weather, then we switch over to, 
you know, periwinkles and uh, lots of other things that will tolerate the heat. So um, mm-hmm. we can help you out with some uh, with some suggestions. And if you're looking for an online source, DirtDoctor.com is out of Dallas. Howard Garrett's up in Dallas, but and the planning dates are a little different. But that's about the only online source that I feel like gives you good advice that will work well here in San Antonio. Yeah, yeah. The biggest thing is just when to plant. I mean, when to plant strawberries versus potatoes, you know, and mm-hmm. and tomatoes and sweet corn. So, and then well, what check, flowers check theirs, to but plant. Yeah, come, come by and uh, and get a copy of ours and go Great. online and uh, download and print one of Phanix and compare the three Great. and. Uh, and, and as I always tell people, we can't plant by the calendar. We have to plant by the season because um, every year the weather is different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got it right. Hey, Amen. All right. Well, thank you very much. Well, good, good luck day. with it, and I uh, sure appreciate the call. Thank you, sir. And goodbye. Bye-bye. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right, here we are back to gardening once again on another very nice, uh, it, it really feels like early fall out there. It just happens to be late fall, and uh, I guess they call it Indian summer, you know, whatever. It's an absolutely beautiful day to get out and get things done in the yard, get out and go fishing, get out and do something. Don't stay inside. Uh, we're talking gardening, and my next two callers are going to be Bernie and Gloria. Let's talk to Bernie. Good morning, Bernie. Hey, good morning. Okay, I got two questions. But first one, do you do ants? Uh, what would you like to know about ants? I do uncles, too. <laughs> oh, uh, my, our tiny little neighborhood has just been inundated with ants. Now, some are the cut ants, but uh-huh. then there's another one that makes a big mound, and it's not a cut ant. I mean, right. and I'm, I am perplexed. I mean, it's... Yeah, invasion of the ants. Well, there are like 10,000 different kinds of ants out there. Your ant that's making the mound, is this a flat mound uh, with a distinct opening, or is it more just like a mound of dirt, almost like a gopher mound? No, it's a distinct opening, and it it is flat but round. I mean, yeah. usually... And, I it has, and the ants are, are red in color? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm pretty sure they are. Those are western harvester ants, and we're seeing a lot of those. Um, you know, they're, they're just, there are all kinds of ants out there, and with, you know, as dry as it has become, and it looks like it's going to stay dry, my meteorologist that I trust tells me we're into a, into a pattern where, you know, it may be, we at least through the spring before we even think about getting decent rains and the answer are are here with us the the good thing i guess is that ants are easily controlled uh, other than the leaf cutting ants those guys are a real problem but most of the other ants are easily controlled with a spinosad product and the place that i would start uh the two ants that it's going to work best on are two of our most common ones the fire ants and these western harvester ants but they're is a uh, there's a product out there called come and get it 
I put a bag of it in my car this morning, as a matter of fact, to take home. It, it is a bait that works specifically on those two kinds of ants. It's totally safe for people and pets. Now, out in the country, I leave the harvester ants alone because they're a very important part of the food chain for all sorts of reptiles and, and even birds. But in town, I understand that you don't really want harvester ants in your yard, but they come and get it. You can just kind of sprinkle around. Uh, you don't disturb the ants. They pick it up. They take it into the mouth feed the queen and that's the end of that mound now you know you've you've heard a lot of talk about the cut ants and those are you know much more substantial issue you have to go after the mound with uh, one of my callers was telling me he's had very good success with agricultural lime from the feed store uh, I like adding some sulfur to it that you could just kind of if you know where the mounds are you can put that on top and these mounds may be the they'll have several openings and they may be 10 feet in diameter so the cut ants are by far the hardest ones to control but most of the others uh, you'll either control with a bait like the come and get it or with a liquid spray which would just be a spinosad solution okay okay good got it uh, now my other question is that uh, about three years ago I had my house painted and there is uh-huh. this section side of my garage that even the the weeds are having trouble growing what can i do to get things growing there again what uh what direction which side of the garage which way is it facing uh it's facing west okay so uh lots of hot sun you know the painting may or may not have had anything to do with it if you feel like the painters cleaned their brushes left some toxic stuff in the soil get a little bag of what we call activated charcoal uh, you can get it at a good nursery you can get it at an aquarium shop because they use it in fish aquariums the aquarium shop variety tends to be a little more expensive in my experience but uh, just get uh, just get a bag of activated charcoal and as you plant just work a little bit of this into the soil and it will fairly quickly take care of uh, any toxins left behind but on a west side you know add compost and add water those are the two things that uh, will get things going if you want to plant for the winter months you can plant pansies out there you can plant johnny jump ups they'll give you lots of color if you want something bigger next spring well actually you could do it this time of year you can do some of the perennial salvias uh, Mexican bush sage is good to plant at this time of year. Beautiful purplish flowers. Uh, you can plant salvia gregii, lots of different colors. And these are both perennial blooming plants that will be there year after year. Uh, like, say, annuals, you can plant pansies, johnny jump-ups, dianthus, things like that. And uh, when it warms up again, if you want to plant some tropicals like Esperanza. So uh, about the only thing I'd add to the soil is fertilizer, maybe a little activated charcoal, and then uh, just just plant the appropriate plants for the time of year. Some people like annuals, some people like perennials, and there are plenty. Both of them can go out right now. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Well, it's Appreciate. my pleasure, and you have a great uh, Sunday. We'll talk again, Bernie. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. All right. A uh, couple of open lines. Grab one if you like. If you've been getting a busy signal, this is your chance. 210-599-5555 while we speak with Gloria. Good morning, Gloria. Okay. Need to be listening to the telephone, though, or at least put it on speakerphone uh, because uh, when you actually hear me answer you, um, that's about nine seconds. <laughs> that's about nine seconds late. Uh, Gloria, are you with us? Yes. Can you hear me? 
Yeah, I hear you just fine. Thank you. Great. Uh, Bob, uh, I have a, a problem. I didn't uh, plant my, my wildflowers that I bought at Fredericksburg. Uh, it said seeds. I bought a packet of uh, various, uh-huh. uh, uh, various uh, seeds uh, okay. and uh, of all sorts. So anyway, I did not put them when I was supposed to, which was last month. And here we are going in the second month. So well, it'd be you too get out and plant them this afternoon. No, get oh, out and really? plant them this afternoon. Yeah, um, a lot of wildflowers. Well, a lot of wildflower seeds not even going to come up this year unless people are watering because it's so dry. But, I know. Um, there, there are a lot of things. Poppies is really just now time to plant. Uh, Larkspur just now time to plant. A lot of the different things in that mix. I wish your blue bonnets had gone in earlier. It's, it's a little late on blue bonnets, but I'd say eighty percent of the things in that blend that Wild Seed Farms makes uh, are going to be spring bloomers, and you're just right on time with them. So don't put it off any longer. I think we've. It's not going to take you very long, but we've definitely got one of your afternoon activities lined up here for you. Yes, that's true. But um, I also wanted to um, ask you about <clears throat> the um, – I've, I've done this before, and, and I tend to forget, but I think I have it written somewhere. So now okay. that I have you, I can, I can recall. Uh, the the uh, sequence of uh, – not the sequence, but the, the uh, putting of um, fertilizer – and, and uh, compost, and uh, I guess that's the only thing on the grass, right, for right now? Um, it all really depends. Very definitely put some fall fertilizer out, and it doesn't have to say winterizer or anything else. Just the same good organic fertilizer we use in the spring is to be the same one we put out right now. But as I always say, it doesn't do any good in the bag. you got to put it out. So I would very definitely fertilize. Uh, if you have the energy and the time, compost is always a good thing to put out. If you have a St. Augustine lawn and if you have any sign of brown patch, then uh, I put out a little whole ground cornmeal. I hope you don't, but I've seen an awful lot of fungus problems in yards this year. So that's one of the things you may want to put out would be some whole ground cornmeal. But you're absolutely right. Fertilizer and compost are the two most important of those. Uh, I also talked to you before, and you and I mentioned compost, and you said that it was not really necessary uh, you know, to put it all the time, like some people think. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, once your soil has a fair amount of organic material in it, um, you're not depleting it when you stay with organic fertilizers and things like that. People who are putting the synthetic fertilizers out, they're putting it out with one hand and destroying the soil with the other. But when you go with organic fertilizers, you're building and improving the soil. Now, Compost is good in that it's a natural pre-emergent. Compost is always, uh, you know, it's kind of just uh, just a little boost for things. But I'll be honest with you, uh, the area that I had such a sticker burr problem, I put out the compost probably six, seven years ago, and that grass has done so well, I haven't had to go back and add compost a single time. So I, I guess I would say if you're satisfied, if you're happy with the way your yard looks, um, remember to fertilize. If you'd like your yard to look a little better, fertilize and add some compost too. But uh, uh, I, I don't consider compost mandatory. It's nice, and it does solve some problems. But if you have a problem for a yard, not nah, just stick with your fertilizer, and it's all you need to worry about doing. 
So the compost comes first. You, you, you apply it first, and then you apply the fertilizer secondly, right? doesn't make any difference. doesn't oh, make okay. any difference. You, you can put one and the other. Given the choice, I would actually put the fertilizer first because when you put your compost out, you're, you're bringing in the <laughs> microbes that convert that fertilizer to what plants can absorb and use. So uh, it doesn't make a lot of difference, but if it, uh, you know, given the choice, I always do fertilizer first, compost second. Okay, well, that sounds great. I think that's easy, but maybe the application is kind of hard. <laughs> it's <laughs> exercise. you got to stop thinking of it as work. And, uh, no, uh, and, yeah, I know, but, uh, you know, and it's sometimes, well, the weather has been okay now nowadays. It's cool in the morning, and I think that's when you can do it, or in the evening. <laughs> I'm with you 100%. <laughs> yes, exactly. And uh, that's about it. How, what are, what, what are the, the new things in your uh, store? Uh, what are the newer things in your store? I think I, oh that's what gosh. I want to say. We got 70 cases of houseplants yesterday, and uh, starting, we actually have the first of our poinsettias in now, and there's some really pretty things out there. We've got some, uh, as far as gift merchandise, you just have to come see. It's like Christmas around here every day. Oh, so it's beautiful. In, yes, I love yeah. to be there. It's an enchanted yeah, plants, garden for me. Yeah, plants, there are some fantastic new varieties of Johnny Jump Ups, uh, little miniature pansies. There's some colors and some color blends that I've never seen before, new varieties out this year. The bigger pansies, there's one called Morpho. There's another called, I think it's Sienna Sunrise. There's some incredible new colors of both Johnny Jump Ups and pansies out there. There are a couple of new Dianthus varieties. There is one that is the most true lavender I think I've ever seen in a flower that's just absolutely gorgeous. Gorgeous in the dianthus, but uh, you know it's just it's just fun. There's there's always something new and different going on. I'm not sure if we still have any. We've gotten in petunias that are sort of a brick red color with yellow oh. veins in them. Oh. That uh, they're they're fragrant and just most unusual. So if you're in the neighborhood, just come walk through. You don't have to buy anything to be welcome. It's just uh, uh, there's a, there are some fun new things out there in the way of flowers. The last time I was there, I think it was in the uh, springtime, um, uh-huh. I, I, I went in there. You were busy uh, putting up your structure for, I can't remember the, what kind of plant you were having. And, and I said, I've got to come back and see that. Always improving some things around here, so you're always welcome. Just stop by whenever you have a chance. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate it. You have a it's great Thanksgiving. You do the same, Gloria. Thank you very much. Bye. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, guess we better get a little break out of the way. It, it is true. This is a pretty place, and uh, whatever nurseries you enjoy visiting, get out and just walk through. I mean, sunshine's good for you. The fresh air is very good for you. Probably the safest place you can be right now is uh, out in a, a good open-air environment. Nurseries are pretty places to visit, and uh, I'm proud of the fact that we, we do have a very beautiful one and welcome people to come walk through. Uh, one thing that I do love to talk about, and, and if you do come to our nursery, look at the metal roof on our building. That's a Southwest Metal Roofing Systems metal roof, and that's the same roof that stood up to baseball size hail here a couple of years ago. 
I bet you can't find a dent in it. I got up there, went all over the roof on my hands and knees, and every now and then there's a tiny little dimple. But our Southwest Metal Roofing Systems roof had no damage to it whatsoever. Southwest Metal Roofing Systems is simply the best roof in the business. We chose standing seam metal, the you know, just bright, shiny standing seam metal. If that doesn't appeal to you, well, at my home, I actually got a red roof in the... Uh, respect for an old uh, uncle that always wanted to have a red roof on the home. There are many different colors out there. If you don't like the look of standing seam metal, Southwest Metal Roofing Systems does roofs that look like slate or ceramic tile or shake shingles. But they're all the same lifetime material. Last roof you'll ever put on your home. When we built our groundwater district uh, office up in Bernie a couple of years ago, I told them put a Southwest Metal Roofing Systems roof on to start with. That way you'll never have to worry about it. Everybody loves her roof up there. Just if you want the best roof in the industry, you know, all these other companies are always talking about repairing roofs. Why not get a roof you're not going to have to repair? Only repair we've had is when somebody backed a big truck into the side and, yes, did have to call them, come back out and replace a couple of panels there. But it's a durable roof, saves you money on your energy bills, on your insurance, and uh, just looks good. That's Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. Learn more. Give them a call at 210-822-6868. That's 210-822-6868 for Southwest metal roofing systems south texas gardening with bob webster is on the air news talk 550 ktsa and fm 1071 all right back to gardening and uh looks like we're going to talk to wayne and regina and alan and wayne is up first good morning wayne good morning how are you doing sir i'm well sir how about you oh pretty good Ran through some showers just north of Nixon, so it's, well, it's getting better. Let's hope uh, they turn uh, into deluges and uh, become <laughs> more widespread. We sure do need it. <laughs> yes, sir. I have two quick questions. Uh okay. live between Seguin and Stockdale. Practically nothing but sand as far as you can dig with a sh- shovel. Okay. Uh, i got sand burrs, and I want to clean whatever little grass I have, and then throw out some seeds, what would be the best for a partial light? Uh, well, i got um, a bunch of oak trees. Okay. Um, the only thing you can plant from seed in the shade is going to be one of your rye grasses. Um, okay. And, of course, that's not a permanent grass. That will give you an ice cream for the right. winter months. But uh, St. Augustine is really our only turf grass that does in the shade, and unfortunately it doesn't make seed, so you have to put out pieces of sod. But if you just want to have something green out there for the winter months, and if you're able to water, uh, some of the intermediate uh, dwarf and intermediate ryegrasses are are great things to throw out there. They're inexpensive. Uh, If you water them, they'll be up and growing in a week's time, and you'll have some nice green color all winter long. Okay, now do you recommend any certain type of thing? Um, for shady areas, my two favorites, one of them is called Delmar, D-E-L-M-A-R. The other one is called Palmetto, P-A-L-M-E-T-T-O. Those are going to be your best St. Augustines. And if you want to plant some of that this time of year, that's just fine, too. I'd always put out some uh, cornmeal if I'm going to plant St. Augustine in the fall. But um, 
Uh, it's probably, you know, probably a little more widely available in the spring. But uh, if you've got the time and you've got the water, you can certainly put it out right now. But uh, easiest thing would be just to throw out some uh, intermediate ryegrass. Okay. One other thing I'll leave you alone. Uh, with the San Augustine, the harvester ants, will it bother them because we're loaded with well, harvester ants normally don't bother St. Augustine. I, I can't say okay. I've ever seen a problem with St. Augustine and harvester ants. Well, that sounds great, then. I greatly appreciate it. It's been a wonderful <laughs> I appreciate the call this morning. You get out and have a good day, and uh, uh, have a good, happy Thanksgiving as well. Yes, sir. You do the same. Thank you. Thank Bye-bye. you, Wayne. I appreciate it. Goodbye. All right, Regina is up next. Good morning, Regina. Hi, uh, Joey. Can you hear me okay? I hear you just fine. Great, great. I I have two questions. One is about our caryoptis, and the other one kind of eludes me. I'm hoping it comes back as we talk about the caryoptis. I have a very root-bound, two of them, in a one-gallon container that I, uh, again, my procrastination and the deer have, have uh, anyway, I haven't put it down into the ground, and I'm ready to do that. I found uh-huh. the spot for it. What I'm wondering is, um, one, if it's a good time. Two, if it's very root-bound, what do I need to do with those roots? I, I don't always understand the process of sort of releasing <laughs> them okay. when they get when they get girdled. Well, what what I would, and this would be a very good time to plant caryopteris, uh, all the mist flowers. Uh, this is a great time to put them out. What I do is with a plant like that that's really root bound, I'll slide it out of the container, and then I take a short bladed knife, like a sheetrock knife, and I'll just cut down one side of the root ball. Just top just to bottom, I'm going to cut, you know, maybe half an inch into the root ball. That's going to sever a lot of roots, but it kind of makes them branch out and spread out. So uh, um, that's all I think you need to do. Now, you will have to water pretty frequently because, remember, all the roots are confined to a fairly small area, and a uh, root-bound plant uses a lot of moisture. So be prepared to water regularly, but I'd put that caryopters in the ground this afternoon it's going to be a great day for it okay and um obviously feed it and uh, do i need to trim off it got spindly um do i trim it or leave it as it is it's probably at least a foot high Yo, leave it as it is. Every leaf there is going to be absorbing the sun's energy, helping the plant to get well established. If you want to trim it a bit, wait till uh, early spring, probably into February 1st of March. You can trim it then. But for now, let's just get it watered. uh, Let's get it planted, watered. If you want to throw a couple of handfuls of good dry organic fertilizer, Medina, Nature's Creation, Maestro Grow, uh, throw a couple of handfuls of good organic fertilizer in the bottom of the hole, and uh, that plant will be, breathe a big sigh of relief for those plants, Will, getting out of the pot and into the ground. Okay, great. Okay. Well, I didn't remember the others, so on to the next person. <laughs> <laughs> You're very kind, Regina. You uh, you have a wonderful Sunday, and uh, we'll Thank talk again. Thank you again for your help. You're certainly welcome.
Goodbye. Well, the next person is Alan, but let me get a quick break in here. I don't want to get behind. Uh, so uh, let's talk for a moment about Fanix Nursery and Garden Center. And Fanix wants me to remind you that they are your source on fruit trees of all sorts, and they're really starting to get a lot of containerized trees and peaches, plums, pears, apples. They know, and, and figs, of course, they know which varieties do well in different areas. I mean, if you're up toward the hill country, they'll have slightly uh, peaches with a slightly greater chill hour requirement. If you're down south of town, they'll have the lower chill peaches. They just, with 10 acres of nursery, they have room to carry a wide, wide range of merchandise. Uh, they also have all sorts. They've got bare root strawberries in right now. They've got all your wintertime vegetables, all your wintertime flowers, and all your organic fertilizer and compost and mulches and beyond the plants hey they've got the Traeger pellet grills and all the accessories how about uh, grilling a turkey for Thanksgiving on your own Traeger grill well uh, you can find it over at Fanix. Uh, they also have the Eagle battery-powered, uh, lithium-ion battery-powered lawn equipment, which is just incredible stuff. No more cords, no more gasoline. You'll be amazed at the power you'll find there. It's just always a good time to visit Fanix, right where they've been for over 80 years, over on Home Green Road. That's Fanix Nursery and Garden Center. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right, let's get back to gardening. It's going to be Alan and Martin and Dwayne, and Alan is up first. Good morning, Alan. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm great, sir. How about you today? Great. Uh, Bob, when do you pick the lemons off the uh, uh, the Myers lemon tree? And they're yellow. Is it just you wait until they're soft or? If once they are yellow, you can pick them any time. If you want to get the absolute peak of sugar, if you want to get the sweetest lemon out there, you can wait until the lemon separates easily. When you just, when you grasp it and just give it a tiny little turn, it pops free from the limb. That is, you know, that is the ultimate lemon. But once they're colored up, you can you can harvest them at any time. Problem with letting them get fully ripened is, you know, the day before you plan to pick it, the blasted squirrel will steal it. I saw a yeah. video on time of two squirrels working together to carry off a big lemon. So uh, <laughs> once they're colored up, they're going to be fine. And if you ever have more lemons than you know what to do with, you can actually throw them in the freezer intact. You don't have to juice them. Just put them in the freezer, and when you're ready for some good lemon juice or whatever, thaw them out, juice them. And uh, it's, it's a good thing to know because when Myers lemons really get going, they can really produce a lot of lemons. So uh, harvest yeah. any time, but the peak of perfection is when the lemon is just ready to drop off the limb. Okay. I, I hadn't heard about the freezer. That's a good idea. I've always put them in the refrigerator, but sure, that doesn't last forever. So, <laughs> Right. Uh, uh, second question real quick. Uh, ants, uh, you know, just ant beds. You talk about ants a lot. Just ant beds uh-huh. in the yard. What can you put on them to get the ants, kill them, that's safe for dogs? Um, what there, there are a couple of different products. Nature's Creation makes a product called Mound Drench, which is based on rosemary oil. And, uh, I mean, you literally you dilute it, you pour it over the mound, and the ants are dead in uh, two minutes' time. If you have orange oil, 
Um, orange oil and water, I put about two ounces of orange oil to a gallon or two of water. That makes a very good mound drench and again kills them almost instantly. Uh, in pots, it's a little bit more difficult because things like that can, you know, can burn roots a little bit, but out in the yard, no, you're not going to have any damage to speak of. And, uh, orange oil is one thing I always have around, uh, Nature's Creation mound drench, I usually have around and literally just dilute them appropriately, go out and pour, and, uh, it's, it's literally within seconds or minutes, if not seconds, uh, you'll have them totally dead. Oh, that's great. Uh, and that doesn't kill the grass? No. no now, grass hot in yard. July, you might get a little bit of a burn, but November, not going to be an issue at all. I'll tell you one thing I'd love to do, Alan, and that's pick a, a nice warm day, especially on fire ants, because as you may have noticed, uh, the ants bring all the larvae up right close to the surface to warm up when with the sun's energy. And I love pouring the drench over them and seeing it just kind of wash the soil away. And that way I know I'm not only getting the adult ants, but I'm wiping out a large percentage of the next generation at the same time. So sunny afternoon is going to be the best time, but you do it when it's convenient for you. That's great. I have some of this ortho, oh, that white powder. I can't remember the name of it. And, uh, yeah. yeah, there you go. And, man, yeah. that stuff smells bad, and I just... I try to put no. a cover over it so nothing licks on it because it it looks yeah. dangerous. No. <laughs> take 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 it to the next household hazardous waste day because in my opinion that's what it is is hazardous waste the uh, uh, the orange oil and or the mound drench a lot safer smell a lot better and totally harmless to our dog friends my two have finally decided to quiet down here but they're they're here available if Dr Kirby has any big questions they'll be here to help him out. Okay, and one quick question. I have a, a, a tree man said he was an arborist. He missed a few uh, painting the wounds on some trees he cut, and he said he'd come back and do it, but he said this time of year the spores are not active, so you don't really have to worry about it. Well, that's a good line for somebody that doesn't want to do his job. Um, or, forgot, the, or forgot or something, yeah. That's yeah, kind of the way I thought. If, you know, if it was 20 degrees, um, it's not whether the spores are active or not. It's whether the beetles that spread the spores are active. And you better believe when we're having these 75 degrees days, they are quite active. Uh, fortunately, as dry as it's been, there are fewer spore mats out there. But I don't like playing Russian roulette. And any time you have unpainted yeah. wounds on your trees, that's what you're doing. So, uh I'm afraid I I wouldn't be calling him back to do any work. And um, after about seven or eight days, it doesn't really matter. That's about how long it takes that wound to seal over to where the spores can't germinate and get into it. So if you make it through the first 10 days, uh, then, but again, you'll never know. It'll be two years down the road if something should develop oak wilt. But uh, somebody right. says he's going to come back and do it later, you know, don't worry about it because probably by the time he gets back, the wound will have healed uh, as far as being able to be infectable. But, um, I, again, I, 
you know they're just all it takes is uh is is a ladder and a pickup truck and a chainsaw and all of a sudden you become a tree expert in some people's uh opinion i things i would always ask for i'm always going to ask for an insurance certificate and i'm going to want a certified arborist and uh I'll tell you, I call Letter Tree Care if I need just consulting. I call uh, David Vaughn, and uh, beyond that, uh, I'm going to do it myself if I can. Right. Well, he came highly recommended. And so it, okay. I don't know. He just missed a few. Or, um, I just was wondering about the spore thing this time of year, you know. But well, um, I have a couple again, of trees that look really bad. Yeah. The, the drought is, is our friend in that it has cut down on, uh, you know, on the number of spores. But my rule, when I'm doing the cutting, you know, I, I cut a wound, I, I paint. I cut a, I make a wound, I paint. And, uh, if you do it as you go, uh, <laughs> you don't have to remember where all those wounds were, but, uh, right. Um, right. Yeah. yeah, they, these guys, uh, even the reputable ones have, you know, three or four guys working for them that could care less. Unfortunately, that always uh, seems to be the case. But uh, anyway, well, listen, you get out and have a good weekend. Have a good Thanksgiving, and you call me whenever I can assist. Appreciate it. Thanks. My pleasure, Alvin. Thank you. Goodbye. All right, let's go ahead and talk to Martin. Good morning, Martin. Good morning, Bob. Happy Sunday morning to you. And to you as well, sir. You talked to my better half, Irma, this morning, and she forgot to ask you, a very important question. Okay. On my grapefruit trees and my orange tree, where those bottom branches are drooping down and hitting the ground, can I cut those bottom branches off without sure. damaging my tree? No, you're not going to hurt your tree at all. You may reduce the number of fruits you get, but uh, yeah, trimming them up so you can work underneath them, yeah, that's that's just fine. You can really do it any time of the year um, where you're just doing a little bit. If you're doing a lot of pruning, I wouldn't want to do it while it's still warm because that can stimulate some new tender growth. But if you're just taking off a few of the branches that are too close to the ground, uh, um, you've got your work cut out for you this afternoon. Go for it. <laughs> okay. That was the question Irma forgot to ask you this morning when she called. <laughs> well, don't put her on the spot. It was pretty early when she called, so uh, uh, that's very forgivable. I, you know, that, that early in the morning forgetting something is uh, it's just part of the day. So <laughs> anyway, I'm glad you got through. All right, Bob. You have a great Thanksgiving, and we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. You do the same, Martin. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Goodbye.